Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org, or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. By the way, that disqualifies anyone in this room, in the world for that matter, certainly disqualifies Israel. They think it refers to them, but the whole book starts off in Isaiah 1, where it's saying about Israel, a sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity. Somehow that doesn't sound like a righteous servant. Anyway, then the Lord Jesus, when he was standing in front of his enemies, he asked them a searching question. He looked at his enemies, and in essence, he said, all right, bring it on. Bring it on, one of you, any of you, all of you, convict me of sin. Go for it. And this is what happened in John 8, 46. John 8, 46, when he says, which of you convinceth, or convicteth, convinceth me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? Because in Hebrews 4, 15, the perfectness of him as the Lamb of God, without blemish, it says, Hebrews 4, 15, we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all point tempted like as we are, yet without sin, without sin. The question comes to all of us in this room, who's without sin? Every one of us drop our heads. Say, don't look at me. He was without sin from Hebrews 4.15. 2 Corinthians 5.21, 2 Corinthians 5.21. He knew no sin. He's without sin. He knew no sin. 1 Peter 2.22, 1 Peter 2.22. He did no sin. And 1 John 3.5, 1 John 3.5, in him is no sin. That's who he is. That's who the Lord Jesus Christ is as the perfect Passover lamb, the lamb who's righteous, who could not be convicted of sin. Why could he not be convicted of sin? Because he was without sin. For the record of his life, no sin. He knew no sin. If you went to him and says, have you ever experienced that? No, I never have. He never knew sin by experience. He did no sin ever and in him was no sin found. When the devil came to him in the temptation, in the wilderness, the devil was saying, turn this into bread, lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, look at the beauty of all this, take this, fall down and worship me. Now, you and I, we might have a pretty hard time with all that. Why? Because the devil could find a beachhead in us. But for the Lord, no beachhead. No beachhead. And for this reason, the lamb, the family lamb had to be without blemish to be the proper pointer, the pointer to the Lord Jesus Christ as the perfect lamb of God. Now, this was the first time in the year that all the males were to congregate to keep the Passover. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that only the males were to congregate to keep the Passover because we can see from the family of Mary and Joseph and the Lord when they went to Jerusalem to keep the Passover, it says in Luke 2.41, Luke 2.41, his family went up to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of the Passover, his whole family. 
went. I mean, just imagine what a huge entourage this was for all the families in Israel flocking to Jerusalem at the time of the Passover. And, you know, we think about the Passover like a national holiday, kind of like the celebration of Thanksgiving. You know, when Thanksgiving comes, we think of how we celebrate Thanksgiving and everyone else is celebrating Thanksgiving and we're celebrating Thanksgiving and the neighbors are celebrating Thanksgiving and everybody's celebrating Thanksgiving and the sales of the turkeys in the stores and it just emphasizes that this is a celebration for everyone. And there's really, the danger is, is to not have a strong personal involvement in heart and soul in the celebration, the holiday of Thanksgiving. And that was, and that is the danger with celebrating the holiday of Passover. It's Passover time, and if you're Jewish, you know that everybody is going to be celebrating Passover, and if you're observant, your house and every other observant house is going to be turned upside down to deleaven it, and there's going to be lots of cooking and lots of food, and that is some food that's only eaten during Passover time, and you're going to get out the family Seder plates, and you're going to have the family and the friends come over, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That's what my cousin says. Don't talk to me before Passover. But as far as getting alone and having the meaning of Passover have a deep impact on the heart, well, not really. And no more than getting alone and having a deep spiritual meaning of Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving have a deep impact of the soul. Well, in fact, during Thanksgiving... There's sometimes that time that's a little awkward when everyone around the table has to say, what are you thankful for? And it's like, oh, what am I thankful for? Well, let's see, I'm thankful for, let's see. I'm thankful for we're all together. I'm thankful for the nice meal. Okay. Well, that's the way it is also for Passover. If you go to people and you say, what deep personal impact has Passover had for you? It's like, uh, good food? Uh, great to be with family? Makes me feel linked to my heritage somehow. And if you said, well, what about Egypt? Egypt? Oh, yeah, I saw the movie, The Ten Commandments. Yeah, Egypt, that's nice too. And it's just this point that God is making here when he said in Exodus 23, 14, Exodus 23, 14, you keep the feast unto me, not unto yourself, not unto your others. You keep the feast unto me. And that little statement changed it all when God said, unto me. Because God was saying that the keeping of the Feast of Unleavened Bread with the first day being Passover was all about keeping the feast unto God, unto the Lord. That phrase, unto the Lord, it means to get alone, to come personally face-to-face with God, Jehovah Jesus, and realize what the Passover, what the Feast of Unleavened Bread means to me personally before God. Sort of like communion. Sort of like communion. Communion can very easily slip and fall into communion being community, where it's like we are going to take the community Passover with an emphasis on we. We see ourselves as part of the church, along with everyone else who's taking the elements of the bread and the wine or the juice and eating and drinking it at the right time and saying amen at the right time, along with everybody else. And it's that along with everybody else that takes away from what God is said when he says in Exodus 23, 24, unto me, unto me. Communion should be a time when we see ourselves as the only person in that room and we are unto God. Means that each of us is like the only person in the room with Jehovah Jesus. And the first thing we do when we come to the Lord is to come clean. 
and to confess our sins, as the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 11.25. 1 Corinthians 11.25. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament of my blood. This do ye as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show forth the Lord's death until he come. Whosoever therefore shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of this bread and drink of that cup. See, it's that part in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty-eight. Let a man examine himself. It's a very personal statement where each person is to examine himself to see if there's any known sin, confess it before taking the bread. And that's what God means when he says in Exodus, unto me. How are you supposed to do that when you're in a church with people all around you? Well, that's what it means to close out every thought that distracts from being in the presence of God. That's what it means when it becomes unaware, when you become unaware of everyone else around you. You can be in a group and you can be alone with God. And that's what God meant in Exodus 23, 14, Exodus 23, 14, when he said, unto me. Unto me. So the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread was to be kept as God said unto me, which means it's very personal, very individual. So what does this Feast of Passover and Unleavened Bread mean personally? First of all, Passover is all about deliverance. All about deliverance. Historically, Passover is when Israel was under a no way out bondage and it was killing them in Egypt. That's the history of Passover. It's meant for each person to see themselves individually, personally, and to remember how each person, all of us, were in a bondage of our own personal sin that was killing him. Scott was talking before the the service about the traps to catch minnows for live bait back where he comes from, or the traps that catch lobsters and crabs where we come from. And those traps are interesting because It's easy to get into for the fish or the lobster or the crab. You can't get out. They can't get out. A little funnel comes through, and then they can't get out. That's the way personal sin is. It's like the Egypt that enslaved and killed the Jewish people. And the personal application of Passover is for the individual to remember how God broke the chain of that sin and saved the soul. Passover is all about that, and it's all centered on the blood in the case of the history, on the blood of the family lamb, where God said in Exodus 12, 13, Exodus 12, 13, the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. So the personal application of the Passover is to remember the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. How Peter put it in 1 Peter 1, 18, 1 Peter 1, 19, for as much as you know, You are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb, without blemish and without spot. Now, Israel was so prone to see themselves in the promised land. Oh, we finally arrived. Whoa, what a beautiful land. Look at it. Oh, the fruit, and that's wonderful and to forget how they came to that promised land. Israel's in the promised land today because of what happened when God delivered them from Egypt. But that happened over 3,000 years ago. 
It's very easy to forget what happened over 3,000 years ago. It's very easy for us to forget what happened one month ago versus 3,000 years ago. And God knew that. God knew that. So he instituted this annual remembrance of what happened 3,000 years ago in the first Passover. And that's why, that's why it's celebrated. And God knows it's very easy for us to forget what happened 2,000 years ago when the Lord Jesus was killed for our sins. So we have these reminders, like the heart today. When I survey the wondrous cross, when was that? 2,000 years ago. No, but we survey it now. And that's why the Lord instituted this don't forget activity of communion. And what he said is that it was a time for not forgetting, remembering, bringing it back to life. Which brings us to the whole concept of the do not forget in the Feast of Unleavened Bread. In the Feast of Unleavened Bread, there were three points. First is a reminder that before the Feast of Unleavened Bread, you ate leavened bread. Leaven speaks of sin. So the first thing that the Feast of Unleavened Bread causes us to remember is the time when you ate leavened bread, and it speaks of the time before we were saved, when sin was our daily consumption. Uh, that was the first point of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Second point, the second point of the Feast of Unleavened Bread is the first day, which is the Passover that took place on the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. There was no Feast of Unleavened Bread without the Passover. The Passover was the start of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So the Passover speaks of the time when for each of us, when we came to the Lord Jesus Christ personally, confessed that we were dirty, rotten sinners, and begged him for mercy to save us from our sins. And what he did for us when he saved us from our sins by applying his shed blood to be the payment for our sins, as the Bible says in Acts 2.21, Acts 2.21, it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. That says that again in Romans 10.9. You'll confess with your mouth. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That's a promise. 1 John 1.19, continuing in the promise. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So this is the point, this is the point in time in the Feast of Unleavened Bread, Passover, that we are to remember our personal Passover. And then from that point, the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, then we come to the days of unleavened bread, which speaks of our new life. Not being driven by sin, not being motivated by sin, not by the leaven of sin, but by a new principle of righteousness, which is what is referred to in Ephesians 2.1. Ephesians 2.1. And you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in time past in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath. That's the days of leaven before the days of unleavened bread. That's the life of leaven. Then it goes on, Ephesians 2.4, Ephesians 2.4. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, for by grace are you saved. That's the start of the days of unleavened bread. That's the Passover, salvation. And then going on, Ephesians 2, 6. 
and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. That's the days of unleavened bread. That's the new life. That new life, those days of unleavened bread, is what is, in, in mind, in Romans 12.2. Romans 12.2. Be not conformed to this world. That's the days before the days of unleavened bread, before the Passover. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's after the Passover. Those are the days of unleavened bread that you may be able to prove what is that good and acceptable, perfect will of God. Ephesians 3.1, Ephesians 3.1. If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above. That's the days of unleavened bread. And not on the things on the earth. That's the days before unleavened bread. And then 2 Corinthians 5.17, 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. That's the days of unleavened bread. All things are passed away. That's the days before. Behold, all things are become new. That's the days of unleavened bread. And then Ephesians 4.22, Ephesians 4.22. You put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. Days of leavened bread. And be renewed in your mind, Passover, that you may put on the new man, which after God has created in righteousness and true holiness, unleavened bread. And then Romans 13.14. Put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, days of unleavened bread. And make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Days of leavened bread. Sets where we say, sin? Sin? No. That was my old days of leavened bread. I've had a Passover, and now I'm living my life in the days of unleavened bread. And that's the first time in the year when God called all the males to appear before him for the feast of unleavened bread. It's the first day being Passover. And it's significant that God does not call it Passover, but he calls it the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And that's a common problem today, where people think that the only goal for me is just to be saved, just to be saved. No matter how I live after I'm saved, it doesn't matter, i just saved. And those people would call the Feast of Unleavened Bread the Passover, just the Passover. But God called it the Feast of Unleavened Bread because even though Passover was on the first day, of unleavened bread. The fact that he calls it the feast of unleavened bread instead of calling it Passover is a message from God. And the message is we've been saved to a new life, a life that's not ruled by sin. We've been saved to a life of unleavened bread. So God's purpose is not just the Passover for us. God's purpose for us is to not just to be saved from our sins and then leave us alone. God's purpose is all about unto me, unto me, unto me. God's purpose for our lives is to be days of unleavened bread, to live in the righteousness before God. That's why he said in Exodus 23, 15, thou shalt eat unleavened bread seven days. The perfect number, seven days. The number for going on and on. That was the first congregation. The second congregating, when all the males were to come before God, is called the Feast of Harvest in Exodus 23, 16. The Feast of Harvest, the first fruits of thy labor. So seven weeks after Passover was this feast called the Feast of Harvest. It was seven weeks, so it was called Shavuot, Shavuot, for seven. And after the seven weeks, on the next day, the 50th day, is this feast called Shavuot, or First Fruits or Pentecost, because Pentecost means 50 in Greek. And this is the time when the first fruits of the harvest were brought to God 
and the harvest was dedicated to him. The future harvest is the first part of the harvest that comes, and the rest of the harvest is dedicated to him, and that's called first fruits, because at that point, when they dedicated the rest of the harvest to him, there's no guarantee that there's going to be a good harvest. It's a feast where families renewed their hope, renewed their dependency on God alone for the future of the harvest. At this feast, all the males were going to come together because it was a statement when all the males came together in Israel, Lord, at this feast of first fruits, I don't know what the future holds, but I'm trusting you for a good harvest for the future. To trust God for the future is to remove all the anxiety. That's why we all need a good dose of this feast, the first fruits in our lives. And that was the second feast when all the males were to appear before God to bring God the first fruits in an offering. Now, the heathen practice at that time was to take a kid and in an act of absolute shock and cruelty is to take the kid and boil it in its mother's milk and then sprinkle that mixture on the crops in the gardens to appease the false god. And the milk that's supposed to feed the child and the boiling in the mother's milk. God said, don't do this. And that's what he meant when he said in Exodus 23, 19, thou shalt not seeth a kid, don't boil, a kid in his mother's milk. The first time when they were all together together called the Feast of Remembrance of the sin I lived in, the leaven, the salvation that saved me, the Passover, and the new life, my new life purpose, the days of unleavened bread. The second feast is a statement of dependence on God for the future by bringing the first fruits to God. And the last time, the third time, when all the males were to appear before God is in Exodus 23, 16, to Exodus 23, 16. It's called the Feast of Ingathering, which is at the end of the agricultural year and when thou hast gathered in thy laborers out of the field. So this is the time when Israel was to give thanks to God for the harvest. It's so easy for us not to be thankful to God. Like Scott oftentimes prays, we need an attitude of gratitude. So easy. It's so easy for us to just go on our merry way like those nine lepers that were cleansed and they never thought about turning around and giving thanks for being cleansed. We're just like, boy, I'm glad to be out of that. That was terrible. Now, what did this see? I got people to see and places to go. And uh, It's so hard to be like that one leper that cut himself out from the other nine and turned around and with a loud voice gave thanks to the Lord Jesus. And this is the purpose of the third feast of the ingathering, also known as the Feast of Tabernacles or Tents or Sukkot, which means tents, because Israel was wandering around the desert there and, and they were living in tents and they didn't have harvests. There was no first fruits. Lord, I want to bring you the first fruit of this manna. I just picked it up off the ground here. See that? No, that didn't happen. There was no first fruits. There was no ingathering. So that was a reminder for that period of time when they weren't planting and harvesting, but God was raining bread from heaven down on them. So they were to remember that too when they built these booths to go out there. So that was a time to give thanks to God. All right, so those are the three times when all the males were to come before God. First, the feast of unleavened bread to remember the sin that ruled me, leaven, the blood that saved me, Passover, and the new life that is my new direction in life, days of unleavened bread. Feast of first fruits, the second one, is where I affirm to God my dependence on him for the future I don't know. And the feast of ingathering is where I give thanks to God for what he has done. Three times 
all the males meet together for remembering salvation, dependence, and thanksgiving. And those are the three words that sum up the three meetings per year. Remembrance, dependence, and thanksgiving. Three meetings per year. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for instituting these three times. Lord, help us to keep the spirit of these three meetings with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. Friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org and sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestorationministries.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California. Santee, California, 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800 247 3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for the Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. 